observe and interact with people, go to a park, a cafe, a mall, and just watch, listen, partake of humanity. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt, one word at a time. And today's show topic involves character archetypes, and we will get to that shortly, but first, ho, 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 Merry Christmas, Taylor. I get to be the Grinch in this scene. <laughs> Have you been a good little girl this this last year? Uh, I've been as good as I could be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really a Grinch. I love Christmas season, but this is a hard one for me this year. Why? I, uh, uh, it's just been so busy. Um, I have so much going on. Uh, I like I haven't even been able to put up a Christmas tree, and we're not going to put up a Christmas tree because. And you um, have kids. You have kids at I home. I do. I do. And I love Christmas and I love the lights and I love Christmas decorations. But I, I looked at it, um, you know, how much I've got going on, how much I've got to get done before the new year rolls around. And I realized I just didn't have time. So I went to my kids and I was like, OK, guys, here's the deal. If we want a tree, you know, I can get it out of the attic because I don't like killing trees you know I feel guilty killing trees for to, to make the house smell nice for Christmas so we just use an artificial tree and pull it down out of the attic and said I'll get it for you but you'll have to be the ones to decorate it and when it's over you'll have to be the ones to put everything back and they looked at me and they went nah we're good <laughs> I was like you freaking little lazy bums um, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't bear not having a tree at all. So I went to Walmart and I bought a $20 little three foot tree and I set it on one of the end tables so that at least there's something, but yeah, I'm, it's not like I'm foregoing the Christmas spirit. I'm, I'm having fun and we're still having a holiday season. I just don't have time to do all the extra stuff, you know, that goes into it. Have you watched a Hallmark Christmas movie yet? Well, Steve, you know me. I don't really watch <laughs> I know TV. the answer is no. We watched one about a week and a half ago that was based on a D- David Baldacci story, and it was it was quite good. I, I enjoyed it. it. It's like it's like pancakes with a lot of maple syrup, but it was very enjoyable. I got to the end of it, and we felt good about ourselves for watching a Christmas movie. <laughs> like it's something you have to tick off your list. Yes, yes, because the last couple of years we haven't watched a Christmas movie, and we haven't put up a tree in years. But we do have like these trees inside the house that Julie just decorates with I lights like and things. So we don't have to go out and get a Christmas tree. And and then you know the worst thing is just dragging the Christmas tree out of the house, shedding needles all the way on New Year's Day or whatever day it happens to be. Well, and see, if you didn't kill trees for that and used an artificial one, you wouldn't have that problem. Well, there would be so those that would have a different opinion about <laughs> artificial trees, but it's probably it's a political divide, and I don't want to get into that. <laughs> oh. Anyway, anyway, I love the smell of Christmas trees. So Julie did buy a little, it's not a tree, it's like an evergreen bush that has the smell of Christmas. So that's, that's nice. That's nice to have around. 
And when Wyatt was here the other day, he was messing with the lights, and Julie had taken some pictures. I was working, and she had taken some pictures and was flicking by, flicking through them on her iPad. I'm like, oh, those pictures are so cute. She says, yeah, here he is holding the lights, and here's this. And she says, oh, this picture is great. It's just before he broke the lights. Oh, no. So we have fewer decorations now than we did before, but we still have a few. So we're feeling pretty festive here. Okay, archetypes, you got an email question. So let's just open with the email and and then dig into it a little bit. Okay. Well, first of all, this was not sent in to the podcast. It was just sent to me from my normal email list. And I so are you saying response. that I should not involve myself in the answer? This was just sent to me? No, no. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that sometimes people send in specifically to the podcast to be read on air and answered on air. And this didn't come through that channel. So I'm just kind of like, but I wanted to talk about it. And it just came to me by email, and I answered it by email. So I don't even know if the individual listens to the podcast or not. But I wanted to talk about it some more um, because it it was something that I hadn't really thought about much. And it was about character archetypes. And he asked me, have you ever done research on archetypes for characterization? I'm really interested in this, and I'm looking for advice on how to begin and what books to read. And... Anybody that's like listened to me talk or listened to the Hack the Craft um, editing sessions or whatever, you know by now that I'm just like the intellectual side of it just makes my head hurt. <laughs> I, I don't get these heady <sighs> concepts. You know, what is a character archetype? I'm like, seriously? <laughs> seriously and then I was like well why does it even matter and those are the thoughts that were going through my head that's not the answer that I gave the answer that I gave well I did tell him that you know trying to think of this type of stuff just makes me feel like I'm having claustrophobic panic attack it's just so intellectual but that um I have never seen a book develop a story from the ground up and teach you how to do that, like a writing book. They always take what's already been written, and then they turn around and they try to dissect it and tell you what each thing was and why it worked. But even with the stories that writing books use as the deconstruction method, I can, I'm willing to bet money that the authors who wrote those stories didn't do a construction and then write the story and now it's being deconstructed. They just wrote the damn story. (laughs) And so it's so easy to look at how something that's finished is worked and then go back and deconstruct it. And that's what character archetypes are. It's like they look at all these characters that are in books and they try and fit them into pigeonholes. And that's, you don't need to know that to write compelling characters. And I'm assuming, because it wasn't clear in the email that was sent to me, that that's why he wanted to know about character archetypes, was to get a sense of what already exists and what do these different characters do and how do they relate to each other and whatnot. 
But what I told him was to make characters compelling, you just need to see them as real people. You need to know their deepest fears and their deepest longings. And when you know this, you know what's driving them deeper than the plot. And that makes them legitimately real. It doesn't necessarily mean that all that stuff is going to show up inside the story, but it means that their actions and their reactions, they're going to be consistent because you know who they are as people. And then along that line, you've got to avoid cliches. And that's a really big trap for authors who've gotten most of their experience with people from television. Um, because television is huge on tropes and it's huge on unrealistic stuff. And so basically when you're thinking of your characters as, as real people, you can't imagine them on TV because that's, you have to ignore everything you ever saw on TV. And you, I, I said, observe and interact with people, go to a park, a cafe, a cafe, a mall, and just watch, listen, partake of humanity. And here's a really key thing is read books on psychology, read books on social science and learn people as people. And you imbue yourself to those characters. You don't have to worry about over intellectualizing it. So that was my answer to him, but it's, I'm still frustrated by it. Like the, the intellectual headiness of something like character archetypes are, is, I mean, maybe that's what personality tests are, where they try and tell you, you know, your Myers-Briggs personality profile. Maybe those are the character archetypes. I don't know. But I just think that for someone who's starting out writing or still trying to figure out how to build stories and build characters, why jump off the deep end and to the intellectual pool and work it the hard way, why not just go the easy route and learn people? And then, but maybe that's hard for someone. I don't know. So it's all just rumbling around in my head. And I just, the whole thing, character archetypes, I'm still feeling claustrophobic <laughs> over, over that phrase. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Okay. And so I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just throwing out what if, what if, what he really wanted to know was, how do I find out I'm writing, and I always use the same example, so forgive me for that, but I'm writing a mystery series, and my hero is a six-foot-two-inch former Navy SEAL, la di da di da you know, sort of a character architect, a type of himself, um, but I need a sidekick. You know, what's an acceptable sidekick? Couldn't that be like an archetype? I mean, can't anything be an archetype? Yes. I. Why? Why do we? Why do we have to? No, I'm not saying that's that's going to make the story better doing it that way. But it might just be a a shortcut way of connecting with a reader. Like, there has to be a sidekick. I mean, your books don't have a sidekick, but they do. Kind of, but kind of. But not in in the form of a the traditional sidekick, and so maybe he was just asking, "Where can I learn what I need for this genre?" <sighs> like that's more like genre expectations, though. But if you're looking at a shortcut and going, "Okay, I need a sidekick," 
and then you're looking at a breakdown of what's already been done, all you're going to do is the same thing that's already been done before. Yes. And that you're saying maybe somebody wants to do what's already been done before because it's comfortable and people will connect with it. Well, and it's, it is maybe not so much comfortable, but, well, a, a way to make the reader comfortable. So if, let's say, I can only think of one long-standing, it's not a mystery, thriller-ish, adventure-ish series, and that's um, the Lee Child series. With Reacher, there's no sidekick. Reacher is just Reacher. He's just there by himself every book, and he sits in a cafe, and he's drinking coffee, and he looks out, and he sees something horrible happening, and that starts the book. Is Jack Reacher a character archetype? Uh, I would say yes. What What is the character archetype? The tough guy loner. So then Monroe is that same character archetype. No, she's different. Um, first, she's a because tough guy loner. She's, she's a, a woman. And I think the level of damage that she has is completely different than um, Reacher. Reacher is... You know, I've been reading Jack Reacher, guys exactly like Jack Reacher, for 40 years. And so it's just what makes him different is that there's no sidekick, the stories are great, and it's the mental processes that he goes through in the books that that differentiate him from Travis McGee or something like that. But Monroe is a unique character. Well, maybe that's... I mean, part of my personality is as soon as I see everybody go marching one direction, I want to go the other way. I don't know if it's rebellion. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a need to be, you know, a juvenile need to be uh, like a teenager. Oh, that's what my parents are doing. I'm going to go do the opposite thing or something. I don't know what it is. But when I see everybody go march one way, I'm like, good for them. I'm going that way. And, um, and, I, and I'm like that with characters, too, with writing stories, too. Um, when, when we started going into this thing with Liar's Paradox, I had to face a choice. Mm-hmm. Do I write what everybody else is writing or do I? And what, what my... people wanted you to write, what, what editors and things wanted you to write. Yeah, I had people saying, oh, well, it's really hard for us to sell a book that the main character isn't like former military or CIA or, you know, alphabet agency, because that's what they sell. They know how to classify that. And I'm like, everybody else is already writing that. Uh, They're probably writing that 10 times better than I could, because I'm not ex-military and I'm not former CIA. Let the former CIA people write the CIA books, you know? I'm different. Let me write different. Mm-hmm. And so I had to face that choice of do I go and try and play in the same kid, the same pool that all the other kids are playing in? Or do I go over here and wade in the pond by myself? And I don't know that I made the right choice as far as sales go, because, you know, obviously, if James Patterson can write a book every month and he sells a million copies every time, there's a lot of people who like to read the same thing. Um <laughs> But I, I did what was right by me as an, as an author, creatively speaking, and um, writing to my skills. And that involves, I suppose, 
not following character archetypes <laughs> because mm-hmm. I don't apparently I don't follow it. It's like I see everybody going and I'm like, uh, I'm going that way. I'll reinvent the wheel if I have to. So maybe that's why this issue of character archetypes is so frustrating for me is because it's so foreign. Why in my brain? I'm going, why would you want to go study what everybody else has already done? Then you're just doing what they're doing and you're just one of the crowd. It's- and I, yeah, I have no idea why, why this person asked the question. And my answer might have been, just go read in the genre that you want to write in and you'll learn what the character archetypes are. It's, it's, not, it's not that complicated. You can read a book and someone can do as you described, deconstruct the stories and explain it to you. Um, question for you. When you are out and about, because of the way you come up with characters, how often do you meet someone that you catalog as a potential, there's something about them that you, that you might want to utilize in a, in a story or in a character? Never. Never? Never. And I'll tell you why. It's because I'm a bit of a dunce. Um, I, I know, I know everyone's just like, what? You? And some of them are not actually being sarcastic when they say that. Uh, I, one of my biggest frustrations is that I have 2020 smartness. It's never in the moment. Um, I often feel like I'm walking through life with a big hat on my head with wide brim and there's a piece of gauze taped uh, attached to that brim. So I see life through this gauzy filter. And I'm not really aware of what's happening in the moment. But it's still registering in my subconscious somehow. And when I sit down to write is when I actually begin to see the world. So I will meet people along the way, and I'm just there with them in the moment. It never crosses my mind, oh, that's really interesting. That would make a good story for the book. I'm just there like a dummy, uh, simpleton. And then later, when I'm hiding behind my computer screen, I get to pretend to be brilliant because I have all these afterward flashes of insight. Okay. All right. I feel better now because when you gave the answer that you gave, I'm like, holy cow. Because I thought when you were talking about the importance of going out and meeting people and interacting and having these experiences, that was to fill your creative tank. And to a certain extent it is. It's just you're not cataloging them, as I said at the time. You're, exactly. you're drawing from them later on when the time is right. You're, you're actually being present with people, probably not even looking at your phone while you're talking with them. Uh, which would, oh, okay. All right. So I'm going to cut the praise <laughs> I, I, off I, I right there human. then. <laughs> I am human just like everybody else does. I have a very short attention span if I'm not fully engaged. If something interests me, I can be there forever. Um, but if I'm bored, and I get bored really fast if my brain is not engaged. It's really hard for me to stay focused and engaged. So I will observe things often without even realizing that I'm observing them because my focus is ping-ponging all over the place. 
okay. And when you're writing, do you ever, when, when you're pulling from this well of experiences, do you remember specific things or is it just like little bits and pieces that you weave together into a tapestry? Well, I mean, it has to be bits and pieces because it's never like this huge event that happens that you're just now transcribing onto the page. It's like something you remembered there and something you remembered there. I think, and I, I could be mistaken, I have an overactive empathy engagement system. And I, that allows me more times than not to crawl into somebody else's head and try and understand what psychological processes were going on with them when they did that god-awful thing. Mm -hmm. And it happens in retrospect. It never happens in the moment. So, like, if I get in a confrontation with somebody, let's say at the mall, I don't, uh, my fight-or-flight reflexes go on into overdrive. Adrenaline floods my system. I'm just, like, in survival mode. I don't do really good with um, confrontation. But after the moment has passed, I'll start to think about it and think about it and think about it. And I start to analyze what what exactly happened in that interaction between the people. What did I do wrong? What did I do right? Why did this happen? How did I trigger that reaction? How did they trigger it in me? And when you do that enough times, when you're sitting there writing a story and all of a sudden a character does something and you're like, what's the emotion that drives it? then you might have this flash of insight of something that happened to you three years ago that has just been sitting there in your memory drawers. And you're like, oh, I've seen this before. And that's when you can draw on that. Okay. All right. And I I was thinking before we started chatting, when I knew we were going to talk about this particular topic, I was thinking about archetypes that aren't archetypes or I didn't see them as archetypes at a time. And, and I'll just use the, the sidekick example. Every so often you'll read a series where it's not until the third book or so that you realize, oh, this person is the sidekick. It's just been this fantastic character who's just been there for the first three books in a, in a supporting role. And then later, and I guess this is me sort of being like the person writing the, uh, the deconstruction book. It's me saying, Oh yeah, they were the sidekick, but they weren't the traditional sidekick. They weren't the, the classic stock character sidekick. And those are the ones that are memorable. And five years after reading the book, you, you can remember them and point them out as great examples of a sidekick. And do you think that, you know, we're writers, right? We, we, we look at this stuff from a writing perspective. But for readers who have no interest in writing at all, does that concept of sidekick ever even cross their mind? It does me. I mean, it did me when I was nothing but a reader. Okay. It always did. It's like I wanted to know who the sidekick was when I was reading a mystery. And See, at, that's and, never crossed my mind. And if, there's, if there wasn't a sidekick, then I would be looking for the sidekick and wondering where the sidekick was. It's just because it didn't fit into the mold of what I thought the book was going to be. And then if the book is exceptional for whatever reason, then I keep going and love it anyway. But if it's not, I'm just kind of struggling through it, wondering why it doesn't meet my expectations. 
Okay. So let's let's back this up, all right? Okay. So obviously, I'm weird. And so... <laughs> You know, this this could be almost said almost as often as as the five minute disclaimer. (laughs) (laughs) My brain clearly does not work the way most people's brains work. So my reaction to this whole character archetype thing is abnormal. We'll just get that down there. All right. Now, looking at it from the from that perspective. Tell me how actually understanding character archetypes can be useful for a non-weird person. A non-weird writer? Yes. I think it can be useful in understanding that if I'm going to write in this particular genre, there needs to be a sidekick. And that sidekick can be one of five types of people. And if he or she isn't one of those side five or six types of people, there are going to be readers that are going... What's going on here? And they might not keep reading, especially in, in today, in today's era where you just you drop a book at, at a moment's notice and just pick up something else. You don't have to go to the library or go to the bookstore. You just get another book. So it, I, I see it more as a way of reading, meeting reader expectations for people that read a lot. Okay. Did I tell you about the conversation I had at, at uh, the 20 Books Conference with uh, Kobo, the person who's the, the author relations person for Kobo, indie author relations person? I don't think I heard that story. Okay. And, at, at least we didn't talk about it on the podcast. I don't think so. There was uh, – her name's Christine Monroe. She's a very bright woman. And I was talking to her about something else and someone else that I know came up. And started sort of haranguing her a little bit about why doesn't Kobo offer an unlimited reading reading plan? And she took it really well, and it, it developed into a really interesting conversation where I, I came out of it having learned something that I didn't understand before. And that's that people who read voraciously through Kindle Unlimited – just they read voraciously, they are a different kind of person, a different kind of client than the client that Kobo or iTunes or, or iBooks or, or Barnes & Noble online is going for. And that's why they're not doing a – well, it's one of the reasons they're not doing an, un, an unlimited program. And they're not going after those people because you can't. Those people will want to read a book a day or two books a day. And they, they can't afford to read any way other than through some sort of a subscription plan because it's just too costly. And so when it comes to character archetypes, you're saying Those for people, authors, who, authors who are writing to that type of reader, the character archetype is very helpful because that reader is, look, is just sort of churning through the books and is looking for Looking to slide, in, slide into yeah. a comfortable spot and, and be told a story. Got it. And... You know, that's just me being the the kind of reader that I am. I read voraciously, not like not a book a day, but there are sometimes I want to be challenged 
buy material, and if, if the material's good, I will keep reading it knowing that it's going to be a challenge. But there are other times I just want to sink into an easy-to-read story that I can understand and, and buy the ninth page if I know, okay, this is, this, is the, this is the PI, this is the sidekick, this is the bad cop, this is probably not going to be the, the bad guy, but he's going to be a good foil. And, you know, you just, I just read the story. So you don't want to be surprised? It doesn't make a difference to me. Huh. See, that's why there are all types. I'm the I'm going to march to my own drumbeat, yes. and my books reflect that, but my books are not for everybody, and I cannot write a book a month. It takes a long freaking time to write them. Yes, but, so, okay, you know, I can see. The I flip side see. of that is I love your books, and I know that when I sit down to read one of your books, I have to be paying attention. I have to... I mean, it's not that I have to. It, I'm pulled in, and it's going to take all of my attention to read the books and, and give it the attention that it deserves, unlike lots of other books that I read and enjoy. But So a character archetype is almost like an author shortcut for building a character in, that you're not – I mean, you are developing them up from the ground up, but it's like somebody saying, and here's the arms, and here's the legs, and here's where the head goes, and you sort of fill in the blanks for this character, and it fits this archetype, and on you go with your story. I think it can be that way. I mean, the, the person could have been talking about something completely different, but if he was talking about that, then yes, I, 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 that's kind of the way I would see it. Okay. This is all so different. For me, but again, it's because I I don't have that intellectual background, and the idea of trying to construct a character to the form that somebody else has handed me is I don't want to say terrifying. It's it's overwhelming. It's like the same feeling I had when I found out that my first book contract was going to have two books in it. And <laughs> my agent said, you just submit an outline for the second book. And I had never outlined before. And the thought was so overwhelming. I thought it would be easier to just write the whole book than to outline a book. It's the same sort of like, that is just how do you make this fit somebody else's mm -hmm. idea, you know? So, yeah. And it's probably one of the reasons that for me as a reader, that my reading stays so tight in such a small area. Like I, if I start reading science fiction, for the most part, if I start reading science fiction, I don't understand what's going on. And it's not the science, it's the characters. I don't, I don't understand where the characters are supposed to fit in the books. And if they're not like clearly identified in a way that I can understand right up front, it's a struggle for me. But people who read a lot of science fiction they don't have that problem with science fiction no, books? No, they get it right away, and they get upset if the characters behave in a way that they don't believe that they should. So they basically have their character archetypes, too. They're just different from your character archetypes. Yes. Or character ex archetype expectations. Yes, and oddly enough, because I read so, so much in mysteries and thrillers, I also find myself perfectly comfortable reading romantic suspense, and it's like pure romance. That's not for me. I've I've tried, and it's just I don't understand that either. But romantic suspense, which is just like a story, and there are these stock characters in every romantic suspense book. It's like I I can fall right into that. 
I guess that's my problem is I just am not widely read enough. I, I didn't read very much before I started writing. And once I started writing, I had a much harder time reading. And now I'm lucky if I can read four books a year. So, well, I mean, you have the opportunity to be so creative, though, because you don't. Because every time I start writing any character, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I want him to be a mix of this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. I can't, I, I seem to be constitutionally unable to draw from actual people that I know and create people i can create situations but not characters the characters all have to come from something else something i've read and it's it's but my characters don't come from people that i've met either we had no idea the show was going to go in this direction did no we? we didn't sorry guys we totally rambled but this is the kind of conversations that steve and i have we just talk. <laughs> now you're eavesdropping. <laughs> Enjoy it. <laughs> well, hopefully you found it interesting. Next week's show is going to be a little bit more of a deep dive, right? Another, yeah, it's going to be another uh, deep dive editing. But a one, is this part of a series or my one hope, off? My hope is that we can do it in one show and still somehow keep it to 30 minutes or less. Okay. Video and audio? Video and audio. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Do we have a call to action, Taylor? Because you had one last week, so it's my turn this week, and I don't have one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, have a Merry Christmas. Yes. Yes. Uh, Happy New Year. Whatever your particular brand of holiday, um, I hope it's a fantastic one. And that is our call to action. Have a wonderful, wonderful week and weekend and love your family love your friends bring some love into the world and we'll see you again next week